Welcome to the Rogue Journal Club, where we tear studies apart so you don't have to. The Rogue Journal Club is a Shio Sophia production, featuring long-form discussions of peer-reviewed studies, published in academic journals, and their connections to society. I'm Adrian, And I'm Gina. We'll be your hosts. A journal club is when academics at universities get together to talk about papers. But we've gone rogue. We're going to do Journal Club our way. Join us. Today on the Rogue Journal Club, we discuss the article, Americans Experience a False Social Reality by Underestimating Popular Climate Policy Support by Nearly Half. The article appeared in a 2022 issue of Nature Communications, and the first author is Greg Sparkman. Let's do this. Yes, indeed. Let's do this. <laughs> so would you, like to, would you like to introduce this or would you like me to introduce it? Um, well, you found this article, so I think I'll let you go ahead. Okay. So a member of my, my uh, writing team uh, notified me of a Scientific American article about this study. And so seven clicks later, I managed to find the original paper because you know how news articles are. They make it really hard to find the source. So it's in a journal called Nature Communications, which is from the famous Nature Journal, but it's them selling their brand name. So this it's an open access uh, publication, meaning the authors had to pay lots and lots of money to publish it in this journal. Um, but it means you can download it and read it for free. And it has all the raw data and all the supplemental figures and even the reviewer comments and the author's responses to the reviewer comments. So it's super, super open and a very interesting case study in how, how peer review works these days. Um, and it's also a politically sensitive topic. The title of the paper is Americans Experience a False Social Reality by Underestimating Popular Climate Policy Support by Nearly Half. So they basically did a survey where they asked people um, how worried they are about climate change and their level of support for four different theoretical climate policies. And then they asked them what they think uh, the percentage of Americans are that support these policies and are worried about climate change. And then they compared the reality to the perception. And they found that people were about 20% off, regardless of political party or anything else. And there's a bunch of other details. They surveyed 6,000 people and they had a company, I guess, curate the survey responses. So it's called, I think, Ipsos E-Nation so, yeah. or something. And so it's a company that actually does polling. So they wanted to be able to compare the data to the polls. So that's why they used it. Uh, and it's supposed to be a representative sample of the country. So um, they found uh, that 80 to 90% of Americans underestimate the prevalence of support for major climate change mitigation policies and climate concern. While 66 to 80% of Americans support these policies, Americans estimate that the prevalence is only 37 to 43% on average. So uh, they talk about kind of how they figured this out and what, it, what they think it means. And we will 
talk a whole lot more about all of those things in due time, but yes. <laughs> so that's the summary. Um, it, it was it was shown to me by somebody who I was trying to explain that conservatives don't hate the environment. They just don't like the alarmism and they don't like the human hate. Mm-hmm. Um, and she thought that I meant that climate change, uh, that, that more people than we thought um, are in favor of authoritarian climate change policies, which is not the same thing as what I meant by saying conservatives don't hate the environment. So if you are a conservative, you probably saw that coming and already knew that before I finished saying it. But just to be fair, that that's how I found this. And I thought it was a, a worthwhile discussion, even though we talk a lot about climate change and politics on this show. Uh, this this is the result itself isn't terrible in my opinion. I I don't question the overall conclusion, but there's a lot of stuff they say in the intro and in the and in, in the discussion that like betrays a heavy left political bias, which of course surprise surprise. So, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, and and I mean, for me, I agree. Actually, this is this is actually fairly well done in terms of the the research um methods and things like that so i can't i can't um disagree with that and the idea that they're talking about here with the, the t- i don't think we said the title of the article did we i, I yeah i read it yep. oh okay i'm sorry yep. <laughs> we're both recording this after having had a long day <laughs> yeah i mean this is like two fried brains so i think maybe between us we're one person so that that works <laughs> i think it works yeah. yeah the the idea that people underestimate popular support for something or even overestimate popular support for something is, is not is not an un, unreasonable idea when you think about the fact that us as you as an individual you have your different circles that you go in and what have you and so you may be particularly thinking about all the people who are around you like that um like oh yeah i i may be the unique weird minority one for what i think about something um or you know you run with the click of people who are all thinking the same 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 thing about something and so it's you can over and underestimate the support for certain things based upon that so it it actually is a reasonable question to ask mm-hmm. you know what do what does the public think is what does an individual think is the level of public support for something and what does what do the um what do the numbers actually show um i mean i do i do have some sticking points just because the statistician in me is like mm, that's not quite right i don't think but <laughs> yeah i'd be interested to hear your comments on that because they just used a t-test which is pretty pretty yeah big. yeah and then the power analysis that they did i didn't really understand but yeah. well I, I don't know if i made it all the way through the methods when i was reading this but um a t-test the assumption you have to make with a t-test is so it's what's called it's called a parametric test meaning you have to make an assumption about the statistical distribution that the data falls in right um so like a normal distribution in statistics is that beautiful nice bell curve that everybody loves yes um rare when data ever actually matches that beautiful bell curve but yeah yeah (laughs) Um, 
or you might have a gamma distribution, which is like everything's all in one corner kind of thing with a really, really long tail. Yeah. Or an exponential distribution or a logarithmic distribution. Those kinds of things are all mathematics yeah. and statistics related. Um, but a t-test is a parametric test and it makes the assumption that your data that you're testing is normally distributed. So it falls in that bell curve or generally about in that bell curve. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it yeah. has to be something that can be reasonably assumed to be a normal distribution. Um, and that's definitely not always the case. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the data. And this, this data doesn't look like it's normally distributed based on their, some of their plots, but I'm not sure. So. Yeah, no, I mean, you could argue like, like with figure one, you could argue that, that it's about normally distributed because you do have most of it kind of in one place and then it tails off. It just has a longer tail on the high value than yeah. on the, um, than on the smaller values. It's also a bounded distribution because it's zero to one really, or zero yeah. to hundred. So yeah, um, there, there is that, but it's still, you could roughly consider it to be a normal distribution. I would, me being the stickler that I am with these kinds of things, there's another test. I think it's the Wilk Shapiro test that you can do to run whether or not something is a particular is a particular distribution or not. Like if it's normally distributed or not. Mm, I've heard of that. I think I, I think I learned about that in a class many yeah. moons ago. It's not oh. a common test, but it is something you can run to check those kinds of things so I mean me being the stickler I would have said did you check that <laughs> when, yeah. you, when you reviewed just to interrupt us for a second yes. um go to the description in the video and download the paper it's it's open access so you can look at what we're looking at since it's hard to pull stuff up on the screen unless for some I think you are allowed actually uh the creative commons um yeah. license allows you to throw that figure up on the screen in editing if you wanted to so yeah um, i mean i i might i might be able to throw it up in editing but i also encourage folks to go pick up the paper and read it because it's an interesting yep. paper yeah and um, so so yeah i guess uh oh yeah continue what were you saying yeah no i i that was pretty much the point that i wanted to make i the only you, you, it's funny that we go to figure one as an example, because that's actually one of the things where I had a problem with mm. um, was the, the red line in figure one is the actual, you know, percentage of Americans that are worried about climate change or support X policy. Mm -hmm. um, problem with that is that also comes from polling data and that should also have some standard errors with it um, or some kind of a distribution because you know you're 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 ah. estimating the percentage of the total population it's not a perfect thing because you can't sample the entire population of the united states um but you so can you're saying you would have preferred to see overlapping distributions in this plot instead of a distribution and a line yeah i kind of would have preferred to see mm. that to be yeah. or at least some would, kind of measure yeah. of standard error from from the other survey because the other survey data that they used was done by others that's yale's program on climate change communication which mm. i'd have to go read the other study they were referring to here because the worried about climate change thing is not one that yale usually uses um mm. okay because I, I do you do you remember hearing about the six americas i don't think so okay so 
when Yale first got started, um, and I think it was Anthony Lazarowitz in particular, who's one of the chief um, investigators out of Yale, um, because it's reference 11, I believe. Yeah, reference 12. Um, Lazarowitz at all, politics and global warming, climate change, communication 2021. Mm -hmm. But Lazarowitz has been one of the primary leads for the Yale program on climate communication since it started many years ago. And when it first started, it was a landmark kind of thing because the they put out what's called their Six Americas survey results. Based mm -hmm. upon the results of the survey, they basically separated Americans into six groups, hence Six Americas, sure. um, ranging from alarmed to dismissive when it came to climate change, right. where they termed it at the time, global warming. Right. Um, <laughs> which is not entirely accurate as, the, as, yeah. as that particular scientist. Climate change and global warming are not exactly the same thing. <sighs> yeah. It's a beef I have is people keep using them interchangeably when they're not the same thing. Um, so, yep. that, and, and to, you know what? I will, I will throw the authors of this paper a bone because they actually discerned that that's a difference. That yeah, I saw that. Difference. I was thrilled to see that. <laughs> Yeah, I thought of you. I was like, oh, Adrian will be happy about this. They actually <laughs> differentiated between climate change and global warming. Good job. That, that's so, actually a difference. But yeah. um, worried is not one of the ones they use. I think it's um, mm. it's alarmed, concerned, and cautious. And then on the other side, it's, it's like dis disengaged, doubtful, and dismissive. Um, so they said some things in part of the methods, I thought, about how their word choice differed, but they only talked about the climate change versus global warming difference. Cause I guess one of the original polls actually asked it as, are you worried about global warming? Yep. So they, they said, we didn't ask it that way. So that could be, uh, that could be a discrepancy which they found there was a little bit of a discrepancy. So um, where the heck is that? I'm scrolling around the paper like blindly. Um, if you're looking at it in the methods, it's in like the materials and procedures section on page seven. Ah, uh, seven. There we go. This is this paper's laid out really weird because they put the methods at the end, but then there was also a lot of methods inside the results, and then a bunch of discussion in the results, and it was really they could have they really could have separated that out and done a whole bunch of different things to make that cleaner. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard to read. I actually used this paper in one of my uh, online courses coming up, um, and I did comment on that on the fact that this was less optimally organized and could have been a journal decision, or it could have just been the the authors. So I, I think I think that's probably a journal formatting decision because I've seen that more and more often with some of the higher tier journals that they're going for. You yeah, know, they, introduction they, and results in discussion and then sticking the methods at the end now because yeah they're like well this one's for the nerds we'll put that at the end like mm -hmm. for the six people who care and we're i guess in the six because we care so yeah, yeah so yeah, I, I think i think this kind of formatting choice is a choice of most of the nature journals now oh think, there we go i think nature climate change and, and nature human behavior and all the rest do the same thing now oh you're right they did say concerned how concerned are you about global warming? And they said, are you worried about climate change? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that is different because I think some people interpret worry as different from concern. Like maybe worry yeah. sounds more like eco panic and concern sounds like um, a, a rational 
right. uh, process. So I don't know though, that's just my subjectivity, but I wonder if I think that other people might too. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, and tricky, the tricky thing with worry as an idea and measuring it as an idea here is humans being humans, we have a varying degree of what makes us worried. <laughs> You know, at yeah. what level we actually become worried about something. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, to their credit, they talked about some of those kinds of things. Like you have to perceive, you perceive something is a, uh, is a, yeah. Further research on threat perception suggests we rely heavily on others' reactions to recognize complex or non-immediate mm -hmm. problems like climate change as a threat. So yeah. there is that kind of thing and that, yeah. that challenging aspect to it. Um, they did, uh, if you want to talk about the policies that they they shared with people, those to me were all, they said that they chose policies that were, um, that differed in their core features, but I don't necessarily see how these differ. These all seem like very authoritarian style policies to me. Oh, yeah. And um the policies, oh, they, they were yeah, just, it's, in, it's in table two is where they actually listed yep, how it was worded because one of these things that I have a problem with, not just in this paper, but in surveys more generally, is if you're giving the audience a generic, if you're giving the survey respondents a generic description of what a policy is rather than their knowledge of that policy mm -hmm. you're opening it up to a bit of manipulation because you can stick in your description a whole lot of good things right yes exactly um, and they so here are the policies okay so they're a carbon tax they asked people if they supported uh requiring fossil fuel companies to pay a carbon tax and use the money to reduce other taxes such as income tax by an equal amount that's one way that a carbon tax could work, but there's a lot of other ways you can do that. And then 100% renewable energy mandate, requiring electric utilities to produce 100% of their electricity from renewable sources by the year 2035. Again, that's a super authoritarian style policy. Uh, I can't imagine any conservative would, would be down with that, or at least very few of them. Conservatives uh, and libertarians both would have a problem with that. Yeah. Uh, and then citing renewable energy on public lands. This is a weird one that I don't know if I've ever heard of before. Support generating renewable energy, solar and wind on public land in the USA. And then the last one, which was like, I was really surprised that they used this because it's very polarizing, the Green New Deal. And then this is the way they describe the Green New Deal. Uh, do you support a Green New Deal to produce jobs and strengthen America's economy by accelerating the transition from fossil fuels to clean renewable energy? The deal would generate 100% of the nation's electricity from clean renewable sources within the next 10 years, upgrade the nation's energy grid, buildings and transportation infrastructure, increase energy efficiency, invest in green tech research and development, and provide training for jobs in the new green economy. Yeah. Um, first of all, that's quite the list of promises. <laughs> Updating the energy grid on its own is yeah. well, almost impossible, but what, that, I mean, yeah, yeah. But this, this is, a, this is where I go back to the thing is this is their description of the policy. 
Um, and yes. that fails to mention like any of the negatives that could come from it, thinking about any of the things. And one of one one of the reasons that conservatives would not get into supporting these kinds of things. Conservatives, one of the principles of conservatism is prudence. And there's another one called variety, which mm -hmm. is, you know, basically looking and considering carefully all options and a don't go running towards a decision, but <laughs> something like right away. Yeah. Right. Um, that, that's in the simplest kind of form. But like like a someone who's more conservative about this would want to know, you know, what are the downsides to these things or might see some of the downsides that others don't um so like the green new deal one of the reasons an awful lot of conservatives didn't get behind it is because of the estimate of how much it would cost and add to the deficit which is a concern because the government can't do everything um yeah but <laughs> that's when i was reading that i thought how much is th this is an, an insurmountable amount of money that they're no, talking I think about when, here when somebody um somebody did run the numbers for the green new deal as it was originally proposed a few years mm -hmm. ago and um what they found was at the time that it would cost to implement it 96 trillion dollars i believe so <laughs> Wow. It's just like, uh-huh. Yeah, you get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I mentioned like, you know, a minute ago that like upgrading the grid is is nearly impossible, I meant financially. I think yeah. that certainly it's needed. However, no, I mean, we have to get there eventually because right now the yeah. electric grid is bad, but that's a whole other, a whole other yeah. but things like that aren't mentioned here because I guarantee yep. if you mention something about what it'll cost or how much it'll hurt or what other priorities it might interfere with to do these other kinds of things, mm -hmm. then support for things probably goes down. This is yeah. about the, this, this paper is about the generic support for policy, which is good to understand. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying mm -hmm. it's bad, mm -hmm. but it, the caveat in this is that you also have to pair it against what are the priorities that other people have and how does it interfere with those priorities? For like so you, you might be seeing with the with the midterm elections in november coming up you might be seeing the thing like you know what are voters most concerned about mm -hmm. for most voters climate change is not on that list <laughs> interesting okay <laughs> yeah i guess you're uh, hmm, i'm kind of reconsidering my position on this paper now because they could have had a more close to people's perceptions like level of support for some of these if they actually describe them in a way that weighs their true costs and benefits right and if you have a lot of people that are just maybe not that not that interested in this topic and they don't follow it and they don't think about it that much and then they just read this and they say oh that sounds good yeah i want more jobs i exactly. want to you know so if you're not somebody that thinks about this topic you're not going to notice some of those things and you'll just go yeah sounds good i like it and there's also they didn't mention this but this is mentioned in a lot of psychology studies the um it's a positive response bias or the um i can't remember the word for it but it's oh it's um, social desirability bias. yeah that's it where you want to say a positive thing more than a negative thing in general so people people are gonna be more likely to say they support something if someone says, do you support this? <laughs> so that's- If, uh, if they perceive it will make them, you know, more see, in line with the rest of society and you will be ostracized or something like that. That happens a yeah. lot. Yeah. And it's, you know, or the desire to please the surveyors or to represent like 
a nice person way of being all that good right. stuff. So, I mean, I guess that's maybe no, a minimal I, I, effect just because this is, uh, this people is, didn't see what you answered. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, for me, this isn't, that isn't something that makes the paper bad. I'm not going in that direction. It's sure. more so a, a thing of, you should really be adding this as caveats. I noticed there were not a whole heck of a lot of caveats in the study. Um, caveats being things like what we just talked about, like, oh, yeah. well, support may have changed if we described. We're thinking of alternate explanations mm. because, you know, I think, um, shoot, um, in the introduction, they state, um, if most Americans were unaware of the popularity of their pro-climate action views, this could encourage inaction through pressures to conform to misperceived political attitudes of others, a phenomenon robust across the political spectrum. Yes, it could do that. The yeah. other problem with the inaction is disagreeing about how yep. to do something. Everybody yeah. could agree we need to do something and completely disagree about how. And that's actually where, well, the, from, from what I've read of that part of the literature, that seems to be where more people are now is it seems to be a question of how do we do this um yeah so it's it's not just underestimating support for something it's underestimate yeah. it's not understanding that maybe there are different ways for exactly how to do it because like what you talked about the carbon tax there's mm -hmm. a lot of different ways to do that yeah um and then there's also the carbon dividend program which is exactly. another thing that wasn't included that i know libertarians like that so um my husband's a big fan of that actually <laughs> um we've talked about it a lot here and it seems super interesting and it's one of those like less talked about and then nuclear power was not on this like, nuclear power was not there was either. That's, also that's really something i would support more yeah so. that's a popular one among conservatives and libertarians too mm -hmm. um and speaking of you you mentioned the thing at the end about the uh citing renewable energy on public lands there is a good reason why, and it's actually a very environmental reason why a lot of conservatives, um, if they're if they're knowledgeable on this, don't necessarily support doing that. And that's because a lot of the public lands are held by Bureau of Land Management, by a whole different bunch of agencies. They're responsible for the interior and the ecosystems of the interior of the United States. Can you can you tell where I'm going? Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With the disruption, because solar and wind farms do take up a tremendous amount of land to yes. do that and so that's less land for critical ecosystems and species and you know there's some an old friend of mine said this to me once it's like if you want to convince somebody you want to if you want to convince somebody that it's a species worth saving convince them that it tastes good <laughs> because it's like hunters are some of the most avid people for wanting to protect environment and ecosystem because they want to be able to go hunt said species and enjoy it for dinner. <laughs> so this is actually a thing that a lot of college students have no clue about. And myself, was in, I was included in this list until maybe five or so years ago when I started to get to know people who hunt. And actually, it's longer ago than that now. Geez, I've been in Delaware for a while. So um, students that we've talked to are not aware that hunting can be done sustainably mm -hmm. that that's that like hunting and sustainability like seem like opposites to them like those two words have never been put together in their minds before and so the idea that if you hunt something it means that you kill it all and it's all gone like 
what if you just stop and think about that for a second that's ridiculous hunters are are conservationists because they want to keep being able to hunt <laughs> if you kill everything then you can't hunt for too many seasons so oh, yeah. and i don't i don't hunt but almost all of my neighbors do i hear gunshots everywhere in my in my area because of that and this is a hugely important thing around here and this is a huge trump area so it's it, to say that conservatives don't care about the environment is quite silly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also a thing because some of the problems with ecosystems for, for a variety of different reasons, like, you know, either accidentally or intentionally killing off too many of natural apex predators, which would go after things like deer. Well, that's that became an issue because the deer population went crazy in certain parts of the country and so you needed hunters in a way to help restore yep. some of the balance of the ecosystem and keep the deer population from going bananas so yep. things like that do do make sense it is a sustainability thing and yeah just like convince a hunter that it tastes good right exactly <laughs> and they'll help you conserve it yeah that was a thing in eastern north carolina and that was just with deer with <laughs> ducks with fish with any number of different things yeah. they got a lot of support was yeah, yeah. we we want to continue to hunt it we want to continue to fish it so let's figure out a way to you know figure out yeah. some appropriate restraints obviously hunting to the point of extinction is a bad thing but mm -hmm. but um no yeah so what what, what does that come what does that come down to for climate change? Because climate change is about preserving the human way of life. So do we have to convince conservatives that humans taste good and then we'll uh, we are not advocating uh, we are not advocating <laughs> capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't clip steal me and say that I advocate such a thing. <laughs> that was a joke, internet. That was a joke. <laughs> um so I forget where we went with this, but um, I mean, I, I, we kind of been bouncing around a little bit. I went back to the introduction to make a point okay. out alternative, alternative explanations for some of their things here, because they're, they're very much in the idea. So what they, what they're talking about is the idea of the false social reality being that um, there's a certain level of ignorance that almost everybody in the public believes something that is the opposite of what is true um <laughs> yeah i mean that's it's it they were definitely going to get these kind of results because people are not good at estimating stuff and <laughs> we're just not so yeah yeah um they did make a lot of assumptions leading up to this that i thought were interesting in and i i talked about it in my my course too yeah so um so when you're building a, a case for something and you're showing your rationale it's it's this is how they did it so um they have made the assumption that climate change is a collective action problem they've made the assumption that major structural and social change is needed yep. um and then they also made the assumption that individuals are less likely to act when there are others who stand by and do nothing and this outcome is only more common when the problem at hand is not clearly perceived to be a threat. They had a citation for that, which I didn't follow up on, so I can't um, say when. Well, uh, I, I've seen that one with the communications literature before, and what mm -hmm. little bits I have done, it's it's the it's the problem of the commons. I think is what it's referred to as. Oh, okay. Whereby you're not you're less likely to do something if you think somebody else will. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
That's like uh, someone's going to wash the dishes, but it's not me. And then your kitchen's a disaster. This is like a common example I use with college students because they have roommates and that is a thing that happens oh, when yeah. it's a when it's a common area. Then it's when it's everybody's problem, then it becomes nobody's problem. So exactly. Yeah. It um, takes a while for everybody to realize it's a problem. Yeah, it does. And, um, and it's not yeah. unheard of, but um so then they talk more about how we rely heavily on other people's reactions. And then they say perceptions of social norms, including perceiving others' concern and desire for action may be key to coordinating collective action solutions. So they made a leap that like, okay, it's a collective action problem and people, yeah, need, they, uh, yeah, people need to believe that other people agree with them in order to take action. And if they don't accurately perceive um, other people's opinions, then it will hamper the collective action. So that's the rationale that went into, right. you know, this pluralistic ignorance concept that I think they either made up or they pulled it from somewhere. No, it, it is a concept in psychology. So. Okay. So it's like a uh, widespread underestimation of, so it's when uh, nearly everyone in a society believes the opposite of what is true. So, yeah. um, so yeah, and uh, I think for the most part, I I think it's true that climate change is a large problem that probably will require some kind of coordinated action to deal with. But these policies that they propose, they sort of assume from the get-go that these are the solutions and the real problem is just yeah. getting people to vote for them. And I think that they they vastly underestimate their knowledge of policy. <laughs> they need some political scientists to offer, I guess, maybe a more, uh, a, a, a better variety of policies to ask people about that yeah. actually are different from each other. And it seemed like yeah, these, I mean, these were not that different from each other. You could have had something that's no policy, but like have everyone change their buying decisions and, and more capitalism would actually be a solution to this because it would allow innovation to just take, yeah. take its course. Yeah. That type of thing would probably um, be popular among conservatives and libertarians, but it wasn't that that type of market-based solution was not included in this. Maybe because it's not a policy, maybe Maybe just no, the, I mean, it, it depends because there's a difference between the requiring, yeah, requiring such things or requiring this thing or requiring that thing, um, you know, requiring fossil fuel companies to pay this, requiring um, yeah. utilities to pay this, pay this. I mean, that's, I mean, that that's a sort of negative incentive, but you could also make a positive incentive in the other direction as a part of a policy to say, yeah. you know, um, um, the the concept in theory was a good idea the idea of cash for clunkers where you take the really nasty cars off the road and mm. encourage people with the credit that they get to buy something that is a renewable energy car problem with that is that they didn't follow up on it and a lot of people just got new cars that were just as bad in yeah. pollution so it's just like right suv to suv kind of thing and not necessarily a good suv that said it was still probably somewhat of an improvement because as technology has gotten better in cars you do have a general improvement in the emissions of course it's not like yeah. you're suddenly changing everything to hybrids or electric vehicles but um better than nothing let's put it that way um yeah yeah for sure 
but yeah, I agree with your assessment that they seem to be assuming that when they say support for climate, public support for climate action, I know I put a note here, um, you know, individuals can take action on their own. In fact, there's a number of different ways to do that and communities can take action on their own. Mm -hmm. When I was reading this and later, later reading the policies themselves as they were described here, what they're talking about is federal government action, which is very much an overreach. And if you're talking about some folks who are constitutional conservatives, you know, then there's limits on what the federal government can do that are ingrained mm -hmm. by the constitution. And no, as much as you may really, really, really want to, that doesn't mean you can do that in terms of policy or in terms of what Congress passes or anything like that. Um, which yeah, as much as people were annoyed, like the, the Supreme Court case of West Virginia versus the EPA was an example of this because the EPA was trying to do a very broad regulation on climate change that was referred to as generation shifting to kind of force all the different power plants away from fossil fuels and things like that at once at least as i remember it's been a while since i've read the opinion so i'd have to go back to it but that's where it fell into trouble with the lawsuit because what was argued and ultimately what ended up being the opinion was that congress did not give epa the authority to regulate that way mm. it didn't it didn't say that congress it didn't say the court didn't the Supreme Court didn't say that EPA couldn't regulate carbon dioxide that's not what they said right. um, they basically said no you don't have the authority to do this kind of broad sweeping regulation I see a different problem yes <laughs> yeah I'm I I wish that sort of the the academic folks would I see this problem a lot where you get some data and then you want to just require something federally and that's like where you stop yeah and i mean it's it just is very uncreative to me i mean yeah, no. maybe, maybe an authoritarian policy would be the best but i i feel like there's just not enough creative sparring with these ideas and i do wonder if really it comes down to like just not having thought enough about how public policy works that they're you know they, I think I'm an expert in everything because I conducted a survey and I you know marched in a climate protest sometimes this really just personally like gets under my skin this kind of like well you know we need to do this therefore we should like you know what I'm saying? Like the data shows that this would work. So therefore we need to make it required. Like it would work scientifically, like it would work with the laws of physics, but what it works in society is a much more complicated question. And just requiring everyone to go along with it by law is very uncreative to me. Yeah. No, I, I, it is a very uncreative thing. And it's, you know, we, we could be a lot more creative about it in terms of thinking that maybe the government isn't the solution for everything. Um. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not sure. Well, I do have some opinions as to why um, people on the left tend to go that way and people on the right tend to go the other way, but that's a whole separate that's discussion. We yeah. make our podcast six hours long. So <laughs> I think one other piece of data that was very interesting to me is that regardless of political affiliation, the perceived uh like what they perceived to be the support they were off like all the groups were off 
and that the conservatives were a little more off than the liberals were, right? But more or less, it was like they were all pretty much equally about 20% or more off in their perception. Oh, yeah. And so, and they, and they, what was interesting though is that the liberals assumed lower support than reality and the conservatives assumed lower support than the reality mm -hmm. and the reasons they gave were interesting so that conservatives assume that more people are like them and liberals assume that most people aren't like them somehow and they have this sort of unique uniqueness perception but sometimes i think that maybe the reason why liberals assume that people don't support climate change is because of the alarmist way of seeing society, that everyone's terrible, everything's terrible, everyone hates the climate. And so they assume that most people don't support it. And so it looks like everybody was surprised. These results surprised me. I was like, really? 80%, 66 to 80%, that's, that's crazy. I didn't know that many people were okay with these like highly authoritarian climate policies. Well, but, I mean, you know, this, this is where the thing is, the perceived support and what have you. Mm -hmm. I do have to wonder, and your your point is your point is great. It goes back to the thing about you know what other things could be going on that the authors didn't talk about. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I was thinking of when I read that was they provided the description, yes, but that doesn't mean that folks didn't necessarily tune out after reading Green New Deal. Mm -hmm. and went with what they knew of it which could be anything from you know news media saying it's a contentious disagreement da, 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 mm -hmm. and what have you and so they get the perception that way to some of the folks who are more educated about it and knew things like what i told you like it would cost 96 trillion dollars to implement it <laughs> sure <laughs> which, like, yeah no, we don't have yeah, that money as a country <laughs> yeah yeah, even if all the billionaires gave everything they had, it would not equal that much. Yeah, like, no, there's not a billion billion. There's not a, a million billionaires to give all of their money. <laughs> so times 10, because it would be 9.6, whatever. So anyway, yes, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, no, it's, it's so a lot of money that would be needed. And so, yeah, you know, I do wonder about that. Is that the confounder? in the results. And then the other confounder being the other thing that I mentioned earlier was, you know, what, what are the most pressing issues and priorities to people? Because if you're proposing a policy that then takes away from that priority, you know, because th this is where it's like the negatives, the good things about the policy, the bad things about the policy, the trade-offs that would have to happen if it were implemented, those kinds of things they may be looking at it in terms of just popular support which yeah people may popular support it but folks like this when they're looking at perceived support may also be thinking of well what about this what about this what about this what about this and i would think that people when they knew all that wouldn't necessarily have that high of a level of support so the the problem with the surveys like this is you can't really get into unless you go follow up with like focus groups or things like that you know, yeah. why did people actually think that? Um, right. And there's an awful lot of reasons. I too was very, very surprised. And I found it very curious that it was so much lower, but, you know, talking through it and thinking through it, I could see some reasons. Now I can see some reasons why. Yeah, I think, 
You know, at random aside, because of how polarizing the word Green New Deal is, um, it made me wonder if that, you know, how we always talk about how it's really hard to know what percent of the population falls into this like far left DEI woke worldview. Um, people who tend to like AOC and the Green New Deal tend to also fall into that category. So is this kind of like a little bit of a window into maybe what percent of the US population likes all those ideas based on how many people said they were supportive of the Green New Deal in this survey? I think that's kind of interesting because that that particular topic could be like, like an identifier or like a proxy for, for wokeism in a way. Right. Maybe I don't. This is just like a little thing that I kind of thought of when I was reading that. I was like, "Wow, that many people were cool with the Green New Deal." I remember thinking that that was like very polarizing as a topic. But maybe that's just the internet. Maybe the people that responded to this survey are just not part of internet discourse, and maybe they are just well. Yeah, not, I mean, it's, yeah. The question. This is one of the things I. They talked about different um things with demographics and what have you what i would have found to be an interesting maybe confounder or maybe something they could have used with the regressions that they did was some kind of estimate in terms of how active that person is politically and how often mm. not how mm -hmm. often they watch the news but how often they go further and go digging to actually read and research certain things and what have you because you can't you can have them all you can have them rate like on a scale of one to ten how politically informed do you think you are yeah that would be i mean that some people think they're politically informed from reading crappy news sites so you would still have a pretty big margin of error with that but maybe it would reveal something yeah but it's things like that that i would would have found curious to see and yeah you know, that's the other thing that I would have done here. I would have loved to see, you know, if you gave participants a list in terms of, you know, what are your highest priorities, be it the inflation, the economy, crime, you know, go all the way down mm, that list mm -hmm. of what, what are you most concerned about as a voter? If you go all the way down that list, could you find for each of your participants here where climate change would be in that list? You know, include climate change in a list and like have them rank order it. You could do yeah. that survey type. Yep. Um, and then, you know, adjust the and then look at these numbers with respect to, you know, per. It's some kind of normalization for where it is in their priority ranking. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know exactly how you would do that statistically. I'm struggling yeah. with the way to think of it. And like I said, my brain's fried too. Uh, <laughs> you know, on one hand, I agree. And then on the other hand, I remember when I did my own survey for my own research that there was easily 10 or 15 more questions I would have loved to add. And like, it was already 75 questions or whatever it was. Yeah. I forget. It was, it was a crazy long survey. And I was worried I wasn't going to get a high response rate because of how many questions there were and just... It was already so a small, yeah. So I mean, that's a that's a, that's a good point, and that's a good point for our readers to understand as much. Uh, readers, our readers, <laughs> listeners, our listeners watchers. and viewers yeah. to understand <laughs> is that a lot of times surveys will be cut shorter, and there's questions that we want to see asked, whether we're the ones reading the paper or the ones you know giving the survey. 
that you just can't because you do get to a point where somebody's like, oh, this is way too long. Click, I'm done. And then yeah. you have nothing altogether yeah. because they usually don't record partial responses if it's done electronic electronically. Yeah, they said they actually removed partial responses. Yeah. Streaked responses and a couple, that's like Christmas treating, like Vinita just filling out. And then uh, I forget what the other one, but yeah, they got rid of all those ambiguous um, answers. So exactly. So yeah, it's hard to write a survey. It just, it gets big fast because you're thinking about the analysis the whole time you're writing and you're just like, oh, but I want to be able to know that too. And I want to know that too. And how granular can you really get? Like it, this is already pretty granular. So but oh, it, yeah. is, it is really interesting. I, there was just one funny result that like in the, um, the figure four with the maps, that, oh, like, yeah, yeah. like Mississippi is like a standout for their like, uh, oh yeah level that was like Mississippi is, is like a like a blemish like it's so much darker in color than all the other things it's really obvious it's like at least five or six percent or more higher than everybody else on their misperception level and I just wonder why what's going on in Mississippi <laughs> um yeah that's an interesting blop there I didn't notice that until you pointed it out although I yeah think, like in the in the upper great plains both Colorado and South Dakota are interesting, are interesting, yeah. slightly larger than the rest around them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, there's some interesting pockets. And I guess maybe the six Americas um information would be useful to superimpose over yeah. this. Um the Six Americas thing actually has um they've expanded enough to the point where they actually have maps um of the of the different things. Mm like uh, from their study and how many people fall in. I think they went as far as to go with county level, which is just, oh, wow. Crazy that's, line. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's hard. I, you know, so I was looking at figure five. Yeah. And I gotta say, I do not understand what it is I'm looking at. Like I read that, that figure legend like six times. And I think maybe I'm just mentally exhausted and can't figure out. So this is, they're looking at the magnitude of the misperception meaning like how how off were people in estimating public support based on what news sites they read and right. it looks so, like the, the the fox news and other conservative outlets and right. other liberal outlets had the highest misperception but it doesn't look like the difference was that huge but then so, for, yeah yeah so it's the way the way the way the figure is laid out it's confusing but the 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 figure A in there mm -hmm. is pretty much the same scale as um, as figure three, whereby it's just how much larger is the underestimate. So they've already done the difference between um, the actual the actual um, observed levels of support and the perceived levels of support mm. by the time you get to figure A. So that's already a difference plot to begin with. I think what they did um, reading the caption is they decided to do an extra anomaly, which is to say um, they took basically like the average magnitude of misperception mm -hmm. and subtracted that from figure A. So okay. if it ended up, yeah, so if it ended up being that the average level of misperception was more in a particular category then it went to be negative because mm -hmm. 
this is a group this is a folks who are watching this news source or that news source tend to have less of an underestimate of the actual support okay and then if you're going over oh. zero, yeah if you're going over zero folks who are looking at these outlets have a greater tendency to overestimate uh, to underestimate the um the, the amount of support so they underestimate by a larger degree okay the amount so, of public support so this data found that people who watch or read or listen to npr cable news such as cnn msnbc national papers like the new york times huffington post and washington post and national tv broadcasts like abc cbs nbc that they were less often they were they they misperceived public support for climate policies uh less badly so they were more accurate in their perception right. of climate policies and then people who listen to other liberal outlets which could be any number of different things uh yeah. i think in the methods they talk about what got grouped in there which was which okay. was something like um yeah other liberal outlets with something like democracy now the intercept the nation salon mm. mother jones common drain so things that are more oh yeah they're very far left yep uh so other liberal outlets and fox news and other conservative outlets in that order were worse at perceiving so the worst perceiving group was the other conservative outlets so this this is another one of those studies that um shows conservatives in a negative light and i always oh there's a cat on on the show this evening and which kitty is this what is her luna. name luna welcome to the show luna how do you feel about this paper <laughs> she can't hear you because it's in my headphones but oh well yeah that's a good point i'm a dumbass anyway <laughs> it's okay it happens i think we've done this before no hooray, she in my leg so i decided to grab her Okay, hooray for cats. We have a special guest on the show, folks. She is not concerned about climate change because she is a kitty and does not know what that means. So she's also trying what... to get away from me at the moment. <laughs> oh, somebody doesn't want to be on the show. All right. Okay. That was, that was Luna, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> a round of applause. So, yeah, so this is another one of those studies that shows conservatives in a negative light. And there's so many of them now that I, I am starting to become suspicious if the just sort of all these no, little I mean, all um, these little biases building up over time, like it just makes me wonder. There is, <laughs> yeah, there is a distinct problem in the social sciences um generally of a lack of diversity of thoughts or not diversity mm -hmm. of thought but diversity of worldview is what yeah. I would say. and Jonathan Haidt has written about this a few times um whereas he actually wrote a whole piece where he was very very concerned about the um yeah when he wrote the righteous mind he he started to realize about the political homogeneity in in social psychology which is one of the social sciences so he wrote about it he talked about it he raised his voice that hey this is a problem he gave a whole plenary talk about how social psychology was becoming very tribal um mm. and you know and then he continued to point out you know hey political diversity will actually help to improve social psychological science which one of the one of the folks here is in psychology and neuroscience at boston college so i mean mm. there's one of those one of those in there but he is um and uh, 
Jonathan Haidt, for the, for the record, is one of the founders of Heterodox Academy, which, uh, which you know, considers very highly uh, viewpoint diversity and political diversity to be, well, viewpoint diversity more than anything. But, you know, sometimes you get political diversity by extension to be extremely important with ac for academic fields. Yeah. Um, but you he's know, not wrong that there is a overwhelmingly large amount of um, more left-leaning yeah. uh, worldviews in the social sciences, which unfortunately I do think translates into into a bias in a lot of the literature to portray people in certain ways. Yeah, and it, it sort or of- portray, my, no, portray one group of people in one way and portray another group of people in another way, but anyway. Yeah, there was a good Quillette article about this topic, uh, maybe it last was year or something. Yeah. It was a long time ago, but it was like, it was definitely uh, eye-opening and sad. And I, I remember sending it to my friend and I said, here, I don't share stuff that often from the news, but get ready to be angry. And then <laughs> 10, minutes, 10 minutes into the article, he writes back like, holy shit, it's everything I've been afraid of. <laughs> so, you know, this is just our opinion, of course, but it is, it is bothersome to me that it keeps coming out that way. And I, I wouldn't be suspicious of it because I like to be scientifically open-minded and everything, but I do know that from reading the introduction and the discussion of this paper and many others like it and talking to academics in general, that whatever your political views are, are fine, but just at least have a genuine understanding of what the other positions are. Like, yeah like a steel man of the other position. You need to steel man your other position. Admittedly, some I struggle with that myself. So, you know, it's it's totally fine to point that out with me, but um and um and others here, but you're no, you're right is that there is a unfortunate thing. I think I for it was early on in the YouTube channel history. Um I I don't know if you remember it, but I I did a video because somebody had written for Politico about how they need affirmative action for conservatives. Oh, I think I kind of remember. Did you share that with me? I think I remember. I did. That. I think I shared yeah. it with you at some point. It was before it was well before we started collaborating on Cyworthy conversations and yeah, and, and uh, which was the precursor to the Rogue Journal Club for those of you who know history. Um <laughs> Yeah, if you're if you're a true fan and you were there from the Cyworthy Conversations era, leave us a comment and tell us. I want to know who you are. I want to know if you're listening out there. So yeah, that was my foray into and the Politico article was really interesting because the guy who wrote it made the point of, you know, we we need to have viewpoint diversity. We need to make sure all these people are in there. And at the same time said so many disparaging things about conservatives and mm -hmm. i'm just like well no wonder you don't get any they don't want to work with you if that's the attitude you're going yeah to i've honestly i've honestly tried very hard in doing the psycom to talk about people who uh don't trust science rather than saying conservatives because yeah. i think there's an assumption that like liberals like trust science and conservatives don't. There are tons of people on the left that don't trust science. I used to be one of them. I know that there is a left-wing version of it that is just as problematic as the right-wing version. And it's just as pervasive in society. I would say it's probably equally pervasive. It's just no. that what gets- You know, the thing is we, we haven't seen the study on that. Yeah. 
and that's and that's annoying to me there hasn't been the stuff yeah. in those kinds of things we make those assumptions or others make those assumptions or mm-hmm. you know you might make the assumption that conservatives just don't trust science when it's really more nuanced than that and i mean mm-hmm. i think i spotted one a while back yeah there was a study a long while back that i wrote about for a different blog that was about um that was about the fact that conservatives trusted certain kinds of scientists, but not others, and liberals trusted certain kinds of scientists, but not others. It was much more nuanced. Yes. And yet a lot of the surveys and things that are going on now just don't go into that. Yeah, the Pew uh, Pew Research um, did one where they talked about like, uh, you know, conservatives trust uh, doctors, but not environmental scientists. And then the left maybe trusts environmental scientists uh, more than doctors, but then the vaccine thing is a big area where that used to be a very left-wing thing to be anti-vax. And in a way it's almost not left or right, but more of a freedom thing. So there might be a lot more libertarians that don't like vaccines. So it's really hard to say, and it's definitely not like it's all conservatives that don't trust science. It's definitely a lot of different groups for a lot of different reasons. And so whenever I talk about it to students or to my colleagues, I always try not to say, you know, communicating science to conservatives, blah, blah, blah. Cause I think that's just, it's making that misconception much worse. Oh, and it's yeah. what I it's what I started off in science communication thinking. I believe that when I started because I, I I found the reboot document for when I took over uh, Cyworthy and I was I was like we need to make Cyworthy the trusted website for conservatives and I kind of conflated conservatives and science deniers and that was absolutely false and now looking back on it I'm like well I was so naive <laughs> but I did do a lot of things uh, since then to try to understand the conservative worldview because I wanted to be able to do science communication to conservatives so one of the ways that you do that is to try to understand what they think and mm-hmm. I learned how wrong I was about so many things it like changed my life so I feel like if you're uh, an academic, even if you want to be as far left and crunchy granola and and panicky and bra burning, if you want, do it, but at least understand what the people who disagree with you actually think first. You might learn something. You might you might improve your life if you do. So that's my soapbox. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that soap. It was... Uh, <laughs> It was seven, seven, yeah, wash your mouth out with my soapbox. That makes no sense. I'm going to stop now. (laughs) No, I know what you meant. Although I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get the visual of bra burning academic out of my, out of my head. Um, They exist. Most of them are in Europe. I'm just kidding. I don't know anything about that. I have no idea about any bra burning feminists at all. I have no clue. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's certainly an interesting thing and just, I, I oh I mean overall I don't have all that many complaints with the analysis, although like certain things like a lot of the significance testing and what have you for some of the confounding factors and things like that were like were based upon doing lots of mixed model regressions, which you were right, they quasi talked about and they really didn't talk about it at all in the mm-hmm. actual method section of what they did with those mm-hmm. regressions. They kind of just got mentioned in passing, which for me as a reviewer because it's kind of critical to some of the conclusions that you're making i would have been annoyed (laughs) yeah like uh regression's really easy to abuse and misuse as we've learned in other episodes Mm -hmm. where people have used regression 
to you can use regression to find just about anything you want you have to understand what you're doing yeah one of the things i wanted to see when they did the regressions but they didn't show was that with the regressions you can also say something about how much of the variability of the data is explained by that regression Mm -hmm. how, how good of a fit is it how much of the variance is explained those kinds of things because yeah. it gives you the opening to say something like all of these factors that we accounted for demographics local norms um regional variations all these other kinds of things media consumption what have you th then you can see how much of the variation in your data is accounted for by those factors and yeah you know how much is left so how much of the variance of your sample for supports for these different things did all of those factors together make not just the pluralistic ignorance but um the the notion that you know the um like they they talked about it with respect to race they talked about it with respect to political party they talked it uh, well not political party political ideology let's put it that way mm -hmm. liberal versus conservative um because those aren't necessarily parties as, as much because some people are conservative yeah. don't identify as Republican. Um, those kinds of things, you know. Um, you, you had all of those demographic factors and education. So yeah, let me see, regional variation um, by, you know, the state levels kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. The political orientation is what they called it here the race of a person they didn't talk about gender i noticed um sex or gender um yeah that's interesting you know what you're you're right that usually when there's a, a regression analysis done i'm like trying to look for it now they they have a lot of supplemental data but yeah, I, I don't look in the supplement yet so i don't know i don't see there, i don't actually see the um the regression table that people usually include which has all the the betas and the um you know the 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 components of the the linear equation right. to show all that stuff normally you put that in there and i don't i'm surprised that they didn't show more i'm downloading it right now as we're talking because it's just they're just these giant excel spreadsheets and uh i guess if you wanted I guess if you wanted to reanalyze, they do offer the raw data. So well, that's good. I mean, I I could go have fun if I had time. Right. I know. Same. I don't really want to be sitting in front of I'm slow with this stuff now because it's been so long since I've done it. Um huh. Yeah, I can't, it's not in any of this, uh, any in any of these supplemental data sets. I just downloaded and looked at them all, and none of them are the regression stuff. It's all raw data. So, yeah, I'm surprised by that too. I'm surprised the reviewers didn't say anything about that. Um, you know, I I have no idea for sure if they said or they didn't, but um, if they yeah, did, I guess they didn't because I don't know if you have the review document or not. But yeah, they hold on a minute. Let me open it because they actually do have that. Let me see if I can skim it real quick and find any information about that because it's. Uh, while I'm looking, if you have any other comments, uh, yeah, feel um, free. I mean, the thing about priorities, I had a beef with the media consumption thing, because I think what they said is that um, 
dummy coded variable to compare consumers of each news outlet, those who view it at least weekly to those who do not. We assess the effective media consumption for each outlet in a multiple regression mixed model with random intercepts per participant and item as media consumption is very based in demographics. You know, um, the, the thing about that is I have like, how, how did you do that? Because what's not clear to me with their survey stuff here, and maybe I missed it in the method section, was the idea that um, maybe somebody's viewing more than one thing more than once a week because some of the folks who are skimming through everything or if you know you are more conservative and you want to know what a liberal outlet is saying you might go watch cnn um or msnbc mm -hmm. which uh, cnn tries to bill itself as um center but i don't think that counts frankly it, it doesn't seem very center with some of the things it says and that's just an observation on my part i could be wrong but um that's yeah. something I didn't see is I don't think they I'm not I can't tell for sure because it wasn't um, necessarily that well written, but I can't tell whether or not they counted for the facts that some folks will watch multiple outlets more than once a week, you know, right. And so for some people, it might be daily, you're, you know, you're like you're watching CNN in the morning and Fox at night or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? And it's uh, that kind of information is really tough to get. You'd have to have like analytics data from their browsing habits and their TV watching uh, to be able to actually capture, you know, how much they're sampling from one or the other. It would be really tough. But um, I don't see anything in the review documents about the regression stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Oh. That's something I, I'm going to be missing out. Oh, and you know something? I, I um, Now that I'm looking at the Six Americas stuff a little bit, the maps that they have a bit more closely, uh, one of the things I'm noticing is, you know, people, um, <laughs> one, of the, one of the questions that Six Americas has that kind of plays into this thing about perceived levels of support and things like that is they do ask the questions of people of percentage of Americans who think global warming will harm them personally mm. uh, or or will harm the U.S. or is harming the U.S. currently um, or people who have personally experienced the effects which like if you go to people who have personally experienced the effects of global warming according to their Yale study like the only ones that go over 50% of the people at a state are California, New York, Massachusetts and Maryland along mm. with along with DC. The rest of them are all under half. Like in Oklahoma it's 38%, in Delaware it's 50% even who say they've experienced it. Um huh. which is strange given that you're talking about something that's on a climate time scale and not a weather time scale but that's a whole other problem. <laughs> Yeah, it could be related to people's misconceptions about those things. <laughs> yeah, those kinds of things. But they have the thing about policy support and different behaviors and things like that, too. Like, um, require utilities to produce 20% of electricity from renewable sources. Um, that was a 2020 number. So, like, in Delaware, it's 66% of people hmm. will say they support that. Hmm. Our, elect our electric co-op does actually buy a lot of renewables. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, all right. So I guess I don't have any more comments on this paper. I think it pretty much 
I think yeah, I pretty I mean, much kept my original perception of it, which is that the results and discussion have a, a definite uh, overwhelming liberal yeah. political bias as, as we expected, but the results themselves are, I don't have an no, issue. No, I think, I think yeah. they're good results. I do, I do have problems with the framing because I mean, they kind of got very doom and gloom at the end when I was mm. reading um, at the end, of, starting at the end of page five, and then it goes on to page seven because figure four is so huge. Yes. <laughs> These results have a number of concerning implications. The extent of pluralistic ignorance in this context presents at least two major hurdles for climate action. First, it undermines people's willingness to discuss the issue and thus obstructs organizing around it. And second, erroneously enlarged perceptions of the opposition's numbers should increase conformity pressures to oppose climate policy, diminishing motivation and pro political pressure to pursue these essential climate goals. Again, making the assumption that you know national level policy is going to be what wor works with this one size fits all thing here. Uh, yeah. Further, a perceived popular consensus around climate change may be key to reducing polarization around climate change, as it can help bring conservatives closer to the majority of Americans on the issue. While in the absence of this perceived consensus, as seen here, politicization may thrive. If so, these misperceptions represent a self-fulfilling prophecy, one where underappreciated levels of support for climate policy inhibit support for climate solutions needed and undermine nascent efforts to at substantive change. Again, yeah. back to all of their assumptions that everything about society has to change, that all these policies have to be done from top down kind of thing, um, which a lot of communities are doing it on their own. So you know what? I just leave the communities to actually do it and encourage them to do it without yeah, yeah. With, without um, without trying to force it down their throats because it usually doesn't end. Yeah. Well. Okay. I think this this also comes down to a one of the core differences between um, liberals and conservatives in terms of their preferences is uh, one side likes the federal thing and the other side likes things to be left to the states. I remember when I was in college and my activist friends were like, "Oh, they always want just to go back to states' rights, states' rights, states' rights," and I remember thinking like, "Why?" Why is that bad? It's just, it sounded like to me that it was just a different way of handling problems, but they're still trying to handle problems. <laughs> it didn't, it didn't seem to me that like, well, what do you care about what goes on in another state? Like that's, right. you know. No, and I mean, I, I think uh, for me, there's two reasons, obviously from the conservative and federalist side, you know, I want more to, I want the states to have more authority over those things than the federal government because mm -hmm. it's, quite frankly, not necessarily in the constitution to be under the authority jurisdiction of the federal yeah. government, right? Um, that might be a more of a conversation for legal scholars of which you and I are neither. Are exactly. Not, no. yeah. um, <laughs> but that's my understanding and my thought when it comes to the constitution and the political side of it. From the climate side of it, I'm more of a hand of the states doing their things because for one thing, climate of Florida is completely different to the climate of Maine, to the climate of Washington state, to the climate yeah. of Texas, or even a parts of Texas, because Texas is so huge. Yeah. Um, or same yeah. thing like Northern versus Southern California. Um, yeah. So yeah, when we that, the climate is different there to begin with. The climate will change differently in each of those states to begin with. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, you have very different economies in those states. They're not the same. So a one size fits all solution will screw over states that can't handle it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, even that's true globally as well, that like climate change will not have an even impact on the planet. There will be areas that will be affected worse or better, or they'll have an easier or difficult time. And it's even more specific than that, because that's your area of expertise. But yeah, it's not going to be an even handed thing. So, so I, I see, yeah. I see the framing here is very, very interesting in that they're very much pushing for top down, but not thinking about things like that. And that could be very well a, I think it's a very legitimate point for why a lot of conservatives who are savvy and recognize the differences in climate in different parts of the country and that the climate yeah. change in different parts of the country would not support huge top-down things. Um, yeah. The other thing that got me in the conclusions was the creepy ending. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I got to read it because I don't remember anymore, but yeah. Uh, okay. uh, these results also underscore the need for future research to investigate and document the variety of possible contributing factors of political up uh, political wow pluralistic ignorance including those explored here particularly by utilizing experimental and causal evidence such work may help in developing and ex accessing practically relevant interventions nor misperceptions have been addressed by interventions in a variety of domains, such as those aimed at increasing perceptions of tax compliance, reducing mm. perceptions of heavy drinking on college campuses, and reducing perceptions of of that school. Wait a minute. Huh? There's a typo. Yeah. Perception, perceptions that school bullying is approved of. Our work suggests the importance of developing a similar intervention in the climate policy context to correct pluralistic ignorance and help empower efforts to pass transformative climate policies. I'm immediately creeped out. <laughs> yeah, what sorts of interventions are they talking about? I mean, <laughs> public policy campaign is certainly one thing. Be careful if it's propagandistic, but um, mm -hmm. that would well, be my sound, I mean, this sounds like it would definitely be propaganda then if this is how they approached it. Well, passing transformative climate policies I've heard that word transformative enough times and oh, okay. probably just be me being leery mm. of things that are potentially in the postmodern vein of things, but that's oh. been like transform society kind of thing is usually what it ends up as or transform ah. this thing or like one of the ones they have in the education world is transformative social emotional learning now, which is basically basically when I've read there is more like converting people from being into thinking about themselves as individuals to just thinking I'm a member of the collective I'm a member in the cog in the machine yeah I remember really hearing, bad thing to uh, do a kid but yeah I hearing hearing some of our friends talk about that it it gives me it gives it's me creepy. Some we'll say that yeah. yeah it's pretty creepy so yeah well this is the viewpoint i suppose this is it, it is the viewpoint but i mean this is our opinions on some of the framing of the article obviously mm -hmm. and some of the concerns that they are putting some of their bias and desire for specific things mm -hmm. into the article and obviously they didn't get into like if they were pulling from yale climate change so one of the things one of the things they could have talked about that they did not um, with the policies, one of the ones in the Yale um, policy support thing is one on providing tax rebates for energy efficient vehicles or solar panels. That is something that is generally sometimes supported by conservatives. Um, another mm. one is about expanding offshore drilling or drilling for oil in the Arctic mm. wildlife refuge. 
Um, all of those kinds of uh, things were also included in the Yale study, but they didn't get end up in this paper. So, <laughs> right. So they they sort of cherry picked the policies that they asked people about as well. Right. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. This study would have actually benefited greatly by having somebody with with uh, some conservative understanding at least on the author list, because I think I don't know. I'm actually starting to doubt that 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 huge percentage of support is actually real because of how they framed the the uh, policy descriptions and what they left out. I right. I think that in general, the way that they set the study up, like the, the study design where they had, you know, how they designed the representative sample and all those things, I think were all great. That's the one thing uh, from this conversation that made me doubt the the veracity of that 66 to 80% figure. Right. Um, I, I was surprised to see that it was that high. And so I sort of tried to suspend my disbelief because I wanted to be scientifically open-minded, but I think maybe maybe my gut reaction was accurate there. That almost never happens. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, some of this, of course, as we're, as we're commenting on this, some of this is our opinions. And we're, again, like we've both said it, the analysis we think is good generally speaking yeah right? you're not knocking that it's some of the framing here that just makes it seem like we have to do it this specific way um to get things to work that i think we have a problem with along with you know some of the creepier <laughs> creepier things and broad-based yeah. assumptions and and what have you and there's a, not a whole lot of new nuance given to understand you know pluses of policy negatives of policy trade-off you yeah. Know, would you be willing to support this if it went against your other priorities that you want the state mm -hmm. or the president or the governor or whatever to follow? Yeah. I think what this, what the, the way that these were asked, what it, this can tell us is that there is a lot of support for ideas that uh, for some reason punish fossil fuel companies and electric utilities and uh putting renewables on public land and creating jobs that's what it sounded like people were like those are the the positives that from the way they described this uh these policies that i think probably in my opinion um or what made people say they were supportive of it so you can maybe read between the lines and assume that americans uh, want to make more money and they want to punish the people who make a lot of money. I think this is actually something that I have in, uh, encountered on the left and the right is uh, mistrust of large corporations and large institutions in general. Um, for some reason, the left tends to not like the companies more and the, and the right tends to not like the government more, but there's distrust of large institutions. And so all, the way that this was framed there is a lot of support for some form of redistribution. That's interesting to me. And yeah. that actually makes sense based on how the far left and the far right tend to see the world. Right. I would believe that 66 to 80% of the people would like to see some kind of redistribution without realizing what else would happen if we did that. Yeah. But, but whether or not you can learn anything about how much people support uh, how much people believe climate change is the threat and how much they support policies. I think it's, it's not super easy to tell just because of what was left out here. So, right. 
yeah but yeah it's 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 interesting for sure yeah well um yeah pretty much our can of worms for this yeah how does that fall on the scale of dumpster fire to apple pie order are we i i would say this is in the middle maybe maybe i would give it a little like maybe a six out of ten if zero is dumpster fire and 10 is apple pie order. There we go. Let's clarify that. <laughs> yeah. I have to clarify my, my scale. <laughs> um, yeah, I tend to, because the analysis was actually quite decent, I tend to lean more towards the apple pie order. So I'm like somewhere from six to seven kind of, kind of thing yeah. or towards the apple pie side. Which yeah, I think, I think if you first, took, I think it's the first time that we've had a paper like that where we've kind of leaned toward the apple pie more. Yeah, I know. I picked this one because I thought the analysis sounded pretty good. Like if you took the um, introduction and the discussion away and just gave me the method section and the results, I think it would have been good. I think there's there's too much ideology in the interpretation and yeah. in the rationale. So uh, if the authors ever hear this show, which is unlikely, but they may, um, this is. The, these are our real opinions and okay. uh we are real people who we are a real couple of nerds that do this and i have no <laughs> idea why sometimes but we do and it's fun so there you go it is it is absolutely fun yep it is all right well i guess good night good morning and good afternoon depending on when you're listening or watching <laughs> did i cover Thanks it all <laughs> yeah you did i think you got everything i think you got everything <laughs> everything so yeah i think uh I think that's it. Until next time, everybody. May you always stay curious. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rogue Journal Club. If you want to suggest articles for the show, please consider becoming a supporter of shiasofia.locals.com. The link for the Locals community is available in the show notes. The Rogue Journal Club is a Shia Sophia production. Copyright 2022.